Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, really freaky. If you're a kid in here, cover your ears. So I'm going to give you a really quick synopsis of what this story means or what this story is. So there's this madman. Now he, <laughs> yeah, oh boy, we're starting out good. So there's this madman, and he is a self-proclaimed not crazy person. He's like, no, I'm not crazy. I know I'm not. But this madman goes around, and all of a sudden, he comes, uh, he comes upon an old man. So we got the madman, and we got the old man. Now this old man, he describes as having vulture eyes, eyes that could stare right into somebody's soul. So every time he sees this old man with the vulture eyes, he shivers inside, and he can't figure out what to do to get rid of those eyes that could see into his soul. So obviously, being a madman, the only conclusion he can come up with is he has to get rid of the old man altogether. Whatever it takes, got to get rid of him. First night, sneaks into the old man's house. Sneaks up to his bedroom. He has to get rid of it, this thing that is haunting him, these eyes that are haunting him. Can't, I, he can't function. So he goes up to the bedroom, and he cracks the old man's bedroom door just enough that his eye could peer in to see if he's still asleep. And he stands there and he watches him all night. Okay, I know you're scared. Don't worry. Spoiler alert, it's not real. I promise. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. It's okay. Although I, I read this story again, putting this message together, and it did freak me out again. Um, but okay, so the first night, cracks the door just a little bit. Peering in. Okay, old man's asleep. So for seven nights, the madman sneaks into the old man's bedroom, cracks the door just a little bit. Every night, he goes a little bit farther into the room. First night, you could just see his little eye. The next night, sticks his head in and his shoulders. Until on, this, until on the eighth night, he gets his, he's fully in the old man's room as he's asleep. What happens? The old man wakes up, is terrified, and so um, the madman takes care of the old man, kills him. Sad story, I know. What a shame. So he doesn't know what to do, and he's got, he figured out, he's rejoicing. He's like, yes, the vulture eyes are gone. Yes, I, I conquered, I took care of what has haunted me. And so he takes the old man, and to get rid of the body, obviously the only place to put a body is under the floorboards of his house. So he, he puts the old man under the floorboards of his house, and he goes about his life. Everything is figured out. We're good. Covered. I covered all my tracks. No one would ever know. Totally good. Then two men knock on his door. Open. Yeah, pretty good, right? You like that? <laughs> I've been working on my sound effects. So he opens the door, takes them in. He even takes the two men into the bedroom with the old man's body under the floorboards. But he's covered his tracks. He's good. He's, he's totally good. He's taking care of what's haunted him. And so the, he sits down with the two men, and the two men start asking him, so what happened on the night of the murder? Can you tell us from your perspective, did you hear anything? What happened? So the madman begins to tell this elaborate story of what he thinks has happened. And all along, he starts to hear, well, now I don't know the sound effect, but ba-bum, ba-bum, ba-bum. So he's going on, and he's, he's uh, telling this story, and all of a sudden, he keeps hearing ba-bum, ba-bum. 
the heart starts beating faster and faster, boom, 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 until all of a sudden the madman can't take it anymore and he lifts up the floorboards to see that the old man's heart is still beating. And he turns himself in and it is a crazy story. Definitely not the story you want to read to your kids before bed, I'm telling you. But Edgar Allan Poe was kind of on to something. Because you see, what you place beneath the floorboards in your own life, it has the ability to either haunt you or to carry you. Because you see, what's underneath the floorboards isn't always bad. It's what leads to the foundation. It's what leads to the foundation of your life. But when you put things underneath those floorboards, when that starts to get tainted, it can either haunt you or it can carry you. Today, I want to talk to you about one of the greatest, the greatest love stories ever told, the greatest, the greatest part of this relationship with Jesus, and that's grace. Because you see, when grace becomes your foundation and fills in the cracks underneath the floorboards in your life, nothing can shake you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us this opportunity to be here together today. Lord, we thank you that your presence is so real and it's so evident. God, would you teach us? Would you show us your grace? Would you show us your grace that is sufficient to cover everything? Lord, fill us with new life, with new vision, with new creativity. In your name we pray. Amen. Do we have any teachers in here? Anybody who's a part of the school system, principals, officials, a few? Okay, awesome. I just, this wasn't in my notes, but I just wanna say thank you. Um, teachers, a lot of times, and people in the schools, they don't get enough credit. Um, they don't get enough praise. We are grateful for you. You have been placed on the front lines of, the, of influencing this next generation, and we don't take that lightly. Um, and so we're really grateful for you, just a side note. But, do you guys mind if I take a few moments? Uh, we're going to take a few teaching moments. Is that okay? A little bit different than a normal sermon, but I have this really cool whiteboard and this really cool easel. It's awesome, right? Got it at Walmart. Okay, so I am, I've already said it, I'm a feeler. I feel things. I, when I go to make decisions, I really go on my feeling. I'm a gut person. Oh, like I felt like this was right. I felt like this is what I needed to do. I just feel. I feel. Anybody feel in here? You're a feeler? Few people? Okay, well then there's the other people. Do we have any logical people in here? Logical? Okay. You list the facts. You list the pros and cons. You got, you got to have all the ducks in a row before you make a decision. Yes. You know what? Sometimes I envy you because... <laughs> Sometimes feeling isn't always the best, but I'm a feeler. So this morning, I want I to go to the logical side. This is science. This is facts. And for some of you, that will be really helpful. So I'm going to try and do my best. Done some research. Uh, last week, Pastor Greg talked a little bit about an iceberg. Now, a lot of you have probably heard this theory. You've probably um, read stuff about it if you ever took psychology classes. It's called the iceberg theory. So I have this nice little whiteboard, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to draw an iceberg. So if you're writing notes, you can draw your own iceberg. However you want to do it, every iceberg is different. So however you want to draw it, you totally can. I'm not an artist by any means, but I'll do my best. Draw the little water. That's my iceberg. 
good, right? You like it? If I was really artistic, I'd draw a little penguin or like a polar bear, but we're not gonna go there. So this is an iceberg. Now, what's crazy about an iceberg is that only 10% of an iceberg is actually visible to the normal eye. That means 90% of an iceberg is underwater. 90%, so 10% is what you see. Just do this. 90% is what you don't see. This iceberg, in a way, represents us. 10% is what you put off, what people see. The smiley, happy person who walks into church every single week. It's the 10%. That's, what you, that's the impression that you give, what you want people to gather about you, the conversations that you have. I'm going to call this the what's of life. The what's of life. So this is when you have a conversation. What do you do? Oh, okay. What do you feel? What do you feel in this moment? What are your beliefs? What do you believe on politics, on religion, on morals, on all these things? These are what we call the what's of life. Now, 90% of an iceberg is underwater. It's what's not seen. In a way, there's a lot of us that, we, uh, that isn't seen. Only we really know what's going on inside of our own hearts, inside of our own minds. So I'm going to call this the whys. These are the whys of life. Why do you do what you do? Why do you feel what you feel? And why do you believe what you believe? Adds a whole nother dimension to this life that we get to live. What's beneath the floorboards in life, like I said, isn't always bad. It's this. It's what makes up who we are. It's what makes up the foundation of our lives. The problem is, is that a lot of times these things happen either in our past or recently. These things happen to us that we do, sins that we've committed, and what it does is it cracks this bottom part and it adds this new dimension into the whys of life. Why do you do what you do? Were you hurt as a child? Were you hurt as an adolescent? Why do you feel what you feel about politics? Why do you feel about what you feel about love and God and all these different things? Why do you believe what you believe? Because when this foundation gets cracked, it's where the problem comes because you become less of an iceberg and more of a volcano. See, a volcano erupts and it affects everyone around them. So when this isn't right, when this is filled with shame, when this is filled with condemnation, when this is filled uh, with, with anger, you become less of a volcano or less of a, an iceberg and more of a volcano erupting and, and affecting the people around you, not just you. There's a story in Ezra, and today I want to take you to Ezra chapter 9, 
Ezra chapter 9. Now, Ezra is a really small book in the Bible. If you go too fast, you'll probably, uh, you'll probably miss it. It's in the Old Testament. So if you go to your Bible, if you flip your Bible in half, then you're going to want to go to the left, just a few books. Ezra chapter 9. Ezra is a scribe. So his job is to write things down, to take account of what is happening. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory before we go into uh, this story with Ezra, because it is a beautiful moment of repentance. It's a beautiful moment that the floorboards came up and exposed in order to heal. So Ezra is a scribe, and what's happening is that the Israelites have disobeyed God so, so many times, so much, that God actually allowed them to be conquered by another uh, big power of that day, the Babylonians and the Persians. And so what has happened is that the Israelites are now taken into captivity, into exile. Um, and God told them, you will be, he, the Israelites knew that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years It's a long time. That's a generation of people. So for an entire generation, they were going to be in captivity, in exile. Now, when we pick up this story in Ezra chapter 9, the Israelites are nearing the end of their 70 years in captivity. So they know they're they're coming into the promised land. They're about to go back to their homeland. They've been in captivity for so many years, and they're almost there. They're almost there. So Ezra goes uh, to take account and see how the Israelites are doing, uh, the ones that are still in captivity. And so he goes and he notices, wow, these guys are doing great. Life seems to be good. Their crops are doing well. They're being treated very well. There's no persecution happening. Man, things are looking up for the Israelites. They're nearing the end of their captivity. Things are awesome. Then all of a sudden, Ezra chapter 9 The floorboards are lifted, and Ezra sees what has been happening farther down, where he, what wasn't on the outside to be seen. So we're going to read Ezra chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 6. This is Ezra's moment of repentance. He has found out that a lot of um, the Israelites have been intermarrying. So basically, the Israelites have been marrying their sons and daughters to idolatrous marriages. Um, So with other tribes that worship other gods, and it is uh, come into the Israelites' camp, basically. So he finds this out, and it breaks his heart. One of God's commands when they went into exile is do not marry uh, marry others in idolatrous, like, worship. And that's what the Israelites started doing. So we pick it up in in chapter 9, verse 6. And Ezra has found out about this, and this is his response. He says, oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has been mounted up to the heavens. From the days of our fathers to this day, we have been in great guilt. Our iniquities, we are kings, our priests have been given into the hand of kings of the lands. We've been given to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame as it is today. And, but listen to this. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God. He has left us a remnant and given us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Man, 
oh God, I'm ashamed to even lift my face. I blush when I come into your presence because I know what has been going on. And yet now, for a moment, God's favor has been shown. For now, but for now, God's favor has been shown. And here's what I want you to catch. There were two things that, God, that Ezra said that God gave. He gave them a remnant and he gave them a secure hold. Because you see, when shame has come and you have placed it under the floorboards of your life, you keep pushing it down, pushing it down, hoping nobody sees what is going on. The shame becomes too great to even lift your head. And yet, God, he sees it, and he has given you, through the grace of Jesus, God has given us a remnant. What that means is God has given us a piece, a portion, a part of his eternity on earth. Through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are able to live in the life that God has called us to live in. We are able to take that peace, that remnant of eternity, and we get to live it right here on earth. Because you see, the grace of Jesus is sufficient. Grace is important. If you read the New Testament, if you read the Bible at all, it tells the story of grace. Now, grace may be a little hard for some of you. It's a gift. It's free. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't do enough. You can't get enough approval. You can't do the right things. Grace is simply a gift. It has been given. Ephesians 2, it says, um, all of us lived among, the, among them at one time, talking about um, those who lived in fleshly desires. So us, we all lived um, in our gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. You see, grace is sufficient but you have to be willing to accept it. You have to be willing to, to uh, invite Jesus to come in and to fill the cracks that have been left in the whys of life, the things that have hurt us, the sins we've committed, the things that we have done that have made this so messy, that have brought the shame into our lives. Some of you come here every week and you've given God everything. You've, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've given up sin. And yet when you leave here, you still feel not worthy. Can I tell you today, God's grace is sufficient. It's a gift. You have to accept it. But grace has two parts. And this is what is so cool about the Bible. This is what's so cool about Jesus is that he doesn't just leave us. Once we get all clean, once grace has come and we've accepted it, we've given up the things of our past. We've, we've tried to fill in the foundation of our life to be, whoops, to be uh, graceful. 
Thank you. Thank you. I tried. I really tried that little line. <laughs> Different kind of grace, maybe. What I love is that once you have accepted the free gift of grace, there's a second part. Grace is what is used in our lives to empower us to live life uh, in a way that pleases God. Grace has two parts. Grace isn't, if you're only living in the grace that covers, you're not living in the full grace that God has given because God's grace empowers you to live, to live righteous, to live holy. God's grace is sufficient to cover everything and God's grace is sufficient to keep you covered. In this story in Ezra, it was God's kindness that led him to repentance. The Bible says that, it says God's kindness leads us to repentance. But it was grace that keeps us there. God's kindness may have led you to repent, to, uh, to offer your life to God, but it'll be his grace that will keep you in that attitude of repentance, keep you in that, the, uh, the posture of your heart being humble, to accept the love and the joy that comes with Jesus. I love that this, uh, this morning, our whole worship set, I don't know if you noticed a theme, I don't know if it was planned or not, but the whole theme was about the love of God, the love of Jesus, the love that surrounds us, the love that compels us. It was because of the love of God that he gave John 3.16, it's one of the most known, it is the most known passage of scripture. But it says, um, for God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to die for you and to die for me, to die for the person sitting next to us. Growing up, I, I've grown up in church my whole life. My parents have been in some sort of ministry since I was born. Uh, so I've sat in so many services. <laughs> you want to know something about church? I probably know the answer because of how many services I've sat in. When I was little, I gave my heart to the Lord almost every night because I thought that's just what you did, right? That's just what you do. You just give your heart to the Lord. Anybody want to get saved? Yes, yes, me, me, me. Every night. I know a thing or two about church. And yet, I'm trying to think of how exactly to put this. I, I know about church, and yet my heart was confused. Because you see, through it wasn't even intentional on my parents' part or on my family's part or even in the church services that I was in. But somehow along the way, I picked up that it all depended on me. It all depended on how, how good I could be, how well I could do in life, the things that I could do to keep me uh, pleasing God. It, everything about Christianity came right back to me. Okay, am I living right? Am I doing this the way that God would want me to do? I'm going to try and fix myself and clean myself up before I go to God so that he could love me just a little bit more, right? Just a little bit more. You see, this cycle kept, and what's crazy is I thought I was doing it right. Like I thought that that was, that was how God wanted us to live. He wanted us to live in a way that, um, that we were gonna do our best, we we're gonna do our part. 
And yet I still lived in that shame of not ever quite being good enough to receive what God had for me. I lived, I let shame fill beneath my floorboards every time I doubted, every time that I committed a sin, every time that I did something that I knew wasn't right. I let shame become the why of my life. I grew up in church. I love Jesus. And yet I was in captivity. And yet I had shame beneath my floorboards. There are some of you in here, you need to hear. God cares so much about you. He cares so much about you that he doesn't care how you came in. He doesn't care the things that you have hid for so long, the the hiddenness of your life, because he has hidden it in Christ. God's grace is sufficient for you. If God's grace is sufficient for me, God's grace is sufficient for you. And it's a grace that not only covers, it's a grace that empowers. Some of you in here, you come every week and you lay the same things down every single week. You lay the same, maybe hidden sin, the same fear, the same anxiety, the same depression. You lay it down every week and yet you walk out of here, you pick it back up and it's because you haven't experienced the grace that empowers you to live. God's grace is sufficient. My only point this morning, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. My only point, if grace is your foundation, sin cannot shake you. If grace is your foundation, sin cannot shake you. But if shame is your foundation, sin will break you. If grace is your foundation, if it becomes the foundation of who you are, there is nothing that could break it because this grace covers and this grace empowers. So it doesn't matter if you mess up. It doesn't matter if you, um, if you go back and you uh, experience the same things again. God's grace covers. But it also takes you from that moment and it pushes you forward. You won't be in the same place that you were before. God has given us a new grace for a new season. There are some of you who need a new grace for a new season. The things that once uh, didn't affect you now affect you in a different way. God's grace is sufficient. His grace will be your foundation. It will cover you and it will empower you. If grace is your foundation, sin cannot break you. But if shame is your foundation, sin will break you. It will shake you to your core. I want, I want so badly for every single one of you to experience grace in a new way. To experience a grace that really does everything you need. The love of God is so great that he gave. His love for you is so great that he gave. In closing today, we're going to do things a little different. 
everybody to stand, if you would. There are times when your relationship with God needs to be between you and Him. We're going to open these altars. If you need to come, you are more than welcome to. But I want to give you the opportunity to stay in your seat and to really work with God. Get just you, you and God, you and God. This is about you. This isn't about the person on your right. This isn't about an emotional decision. It's not about the hype of a moment. This is real. This is real talk. There are some of you who are dealing with so much shame that you feel like Ezra. You can't lift your face before the Lord. Today, for now, God has granted you favor. His grace is sufficient. There are some of you here that you need, uh, you need a miracle in your life, and you're not sure why it hasn't come. There's a lot of confusion as to why God hasn't showed up like he promises in his word. You and God, right now, this moment, God, his grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient to not only cover us, his grace is sufficient to empower us, to live a life of joy, to live this abundant life that God has called us to. If everyone would close your eyes with me, we wanna give everybody the privacy of this moment. If you've come to the power place for any amount of time, or maybe this is your first time, we will always, we vow to always give you the opportunity to get right with God. We will always give, give whoever in here needs it the opportunity to surrender your life, to say, God, I've tried on my own. I've tried to earn it. I've tried to work for it. I've tried all the things to get myself in the right place to accept your grace, and yet it doesn't work. I need your grace to cover. I need your sufficient grace to cover me and to empower me with everyone's eyes closed. If there is anybody in here who needs to make that decision to follow Jesus, to, to lay your life down and say, God, I'm not worthy, and yet you have still called me worthy. It's scandalous. It's a scandalous grace that takes you from a place of where uh, you are dirty, you have, you have sinned, you have not lived right, and yet God
just begin with your own words. This is between you and God. Doesn't matter who's sitting on your right or on your left. There are some of you who have major unforgiveness in your life. Right now, right now, I want you to start asking the Lord for that grace to come, for that grace to cover. the need of approval from the need of earning and working and he simply wants you to come and say yes this is between you and God just begin to work inside of your own heart go a little deeper go a little deeper it's so easy to stay in that 10% of your life of what you want to portray but guess what God already sees what is down below he already sees and he knows what is there you aren't hiding anything from him of your life so far. God wants to change that. What I want you to do with everybody's eyes closed one more time. Again, this is between you and God. I want you to take your hand and I want you to grip it. This represents the shame, the condemnation, maybe the sin, the thing that has haunted you the most. Maybe it happened last night. Maybe it happened 10 years ago. Maybe it happened 25 years ago. Take it in your hand. Grip it in your hand. And I want you to lift your fist up to the air. And in a minute, we are going to pray. And we are going to believe and declare that God's grace is sufficient. No matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, God's grace is sufficient. Just lift up your fist. And on the count of three, you're going to open it and we're going to allow God to just flow his grace, his unending grace into our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the freedom of grace, the joy of grace, the mercy. On three, one, 
you take the weight of condemnation and you walk in grace. I guess that's where the word graceful comes in, right? You walk a little bit more graceful. We're believing great things in your life. If you gave your heart to the Lord today, maybe for the first time, we have some Bibles in the back. Get a Bible. Start reading it. Start uh, feeding your own soul. In a way, we're going to give you the opportunity to really grow on your own. Get a Bible. Get involved in a church. We would love to have you join us here at the Power Place every week. But if you're not from this area, maybe you're visiting. Or if this just isn't your style. Find a church that teaches the Bible, that preaches Jesus, and get involved. And lastly, tell somebody. If God did something in your life this week, today, tell somebody. Like Isaiah said, our testimony is our greatest witness of